We're in a series on the first principles of the Christian faith, looking at the first three chapters of the book of Genesis. Uh, I, I know of no smaller portion of Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, that is so foundational to the essence or, or, or the, 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 the foundation of Christianity. And so we're plotting our way through these first three chapters, and, and this morning we find ourselves at Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Um, if you have a Bible, you can go there, but here's just a little background for those that are curious. Adam and Eve have just been deceived by the serpent, and they, they do the one thing that God told them not to do, which was eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they have eaten of the fruit, and now verses 8 will pick up the reaction. What happens after they've disobeyed God's one command? So, Genesis 3, verses 8 through 13. And they, that being Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. God said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. One of my fondest memories of college, and and really of, of life, is sitting around campfires and having just good discussions. We've been doing this on Thursday nights at my house the last two weeks. We get a fire on the pit and people, friends, get around. Uh, this, this week it was Shane, Michaela, the Reaps. Um, they just wanted to be in the sermon, so I just mentioned their name. Um, no, but we sat around the fire and having good discussions. And the discussions around a fire pit often range from like lighthearted joke-telling stuff to meaningful and significant conversation about things that actually matter. And so I, I just remember being a senior in high school, you know, in college, having these great conversations around questions like, who am I? Why do I do the things that I do? Why am I anxious? Why am I sad? Why am I angry? Who is God? How could a good God allow evil to exist? I mean, just questions like this. And the beauty of, a, of, a, of like a campfire feel is that there's just this give and take. It's not necessarily one person teaching like, like this is right now, where it's like, you, you're, you be quiet, listen. There's just a lot of conversations. And I, I'm so thankful for those conversations because I learned a lot about who I was, about who God was, and I, I'm so uh, grateful to have those. And I think to myself, what if I hadn't had those conversations? What kind of person would I be if I, if I didn't spend time with my friends talking about that which matters? I, I don't want to like, make people feel like small, but I think I'd be a lot more shallow. And I don't think I'd be uh, a man of quality or character as if I am something like that. But I think there's a sense in which I would, be so, I would be so distracted by all the things of this world, the things that really don't matter if I didn't have these conversations. We need to have these conversations. They're so important to the trajectory of our lives. They're so important to character formation. They're so important to the people we marry. They're so important to the way we live our lives. We've got to have meaningful and significant conversations. And we've got to have clarity on the way that those questions are asked or answers to those questions. We've got to have some clarity to those. 
Because if we aren't, man, we're going to be just riddled with an insatiable desire for that around the other side of our life. We need to have clarity on answers to significant questions in life. Now, one of the reasons why I love the first three chapters of Genesis is it really does give answers to some of the most important questions of our lives. Thus, foundations of the faith, principles of the faith coming at Genesis 1-3. through But when we get to Genesis 3, there's three particular questions that I think are so impacted by these verses that we've got to look at these questions through the lens of Genesis 3 through 8. 3, 8 through 13. And the three questions that I think we need to discuss is this. Who am I? Why do I do what I do? And who is God? So if you will, would you join me around this... Well, it's not a campfire. Join me around this burger joint in exploring these questions. And while, while we don't have the give and take like we typically get to do, we're going to discuss it through the lens of Genesis 3, 8 through 13. These three important questions. We've got to have clarity on this so that we be people of character, people of quality, people of, of, of clarity of where we're going. So let's look at these three questions. Who am I? Why do I do what I do? And who is God? So the first question, who am I? Who am I? Well, the first two chapters of Genesis can be helpful to our understanding of how the world began and what, was, what it was like some time ago. It's even very helpful to understand how God made it what it's like to be human or what it was to be made in the image of God. There's one thing that that the first two chapters of Genesis lacks, and that's relatability. I don't know what it's like to be naked and unashamed, nor do I know what it would have been like to name animals or live before a time where death was inevitable. But when we get to chapter 3, in particular these few verses, we get to know this text very closely. It's a text that we can relate to. In these verses, we read of a very familiar characteristic that we all know. Fear. Fear. Why why is Adam fearing? Well, he's cowering in fear and hiding from God because just before this moment in verse 8, he had done the one thing that God had forbidden him to do, to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God had said that if you eat of this tree, the day you eat of it, you will die. And so now guilty of breaking God's law, Adam is fearful, and his fear leads him to hide. And the question is, why is he hiding? Adam explicitly tells God why he is hiding. In verse 10, you can see that he says that he was afraid because he was naked. He was naked. What is this? What is this nakedness that he's talking about other than just a physical nakedness? The answer, I think, leads us back to Genesis 2. Verses 25. There it is said that Adam and Eve were both naked and unashamed. They were naked and unashamed. Now in this verse it just says that Adam was naked. But his fear is leading me to that other part of unashamed. It's his shame. Here Adam is fearful because he experiences this characteristic that so many of us know. Shame. Shame, if for those of you that don't know, is this feeling that we have that communicates to us in our minds that we aren't right. It's this sense that we aren't what we're supposed to be. We aren't what we could be. It's this vague feeling that we get that we aren't enough. And this is the fatal flaw that marks us all. Shame. 
So if you want to know who you are, there's a lot you can know. But from these verses, through the lens of this, the one thing I want you to know is this, that you are a shameful individual. Now, there's a, there's a lot of conversations in the, in, in the culture today, and I think a lot of the conversations surrounding shame are really, really good, and it's helpful for us to understand this. But the way we deal with shame is going to be drastically different than the way that the culture deals with shame. Now, I'm going to say something very hard here. We have to see this and relate to Adam in this way, that we are shameful people. We can't run from our shame. We can't ignore our shame. We can't rationalize it away. We are shameful people. We are people who walk around with this voice in our head saying, you aren't pretty enough. You aren't strong enough. You're not courageous enough. You're not this person who's a leader, who's going to be this great leader. These are voices that are in our minds. And guess what? Most of those times, those voices are true. And we often try to rationalize or put them away. And I'm not going to tell you what we're going to do with shame right now, but I simply want you to know this. We cannot rationalize away shame, nor can we do anything in our own power to deal with our shame. We're naked and ashamed. Who are you? This is the question that we're sitting around in this box. Who are you? You are a shameful person like Adam in the garden. So question number one, who am I? I'm a shameful person. The second question, as we sit around the box talking about uh, important questions in life, is this, why do I do what I do? Why do I do what I do? I think this is a common question so many people ask, especially when we get into trouble and we're frustrated with ourselves and we're like, golly, why did I do that? Like, why did I wait so long to write my term paper? That was a common refrain in my mind. Like, why did I procrastinate? And the night before, I'm just frantically typing away this terrible paper that I'm going to submit and get like a C on. Why did I do that? It's a question we always ask. But I want to explore this a little bit deeper. And the way I want to explore this a little bit deeper is, is, is to tell you this. Who you are is going to determine what you do. Or what you do is going to reveal to you who you are. So if we are shameful people, our shame is going to derive what we do. And this is exactly what we see happening in Genesis 3, 8-13. Adam has taken the very thing that he was not supposed to do, and now he's naked. And what does he do? What is the first thing that he and Eve do, having done the very thing God commanded them to do? Their shame does, drives them to do what? To hide. They hide. They hide. They don't want to be seen for who they really are. They, they feel like they're not enough. They feel dirty and broken and they don't want to be seen. Especially in the fact that God's walking around. I think a lot of us know this feeling. This, I don't want to be seen for who I am. Can I just admit, if you guys really knew who I was, I am deathly afraid that you guys would run for the door. And so what I do is I hide. And the way that I hide is I, I try to project a certain characteristic that I believe is followable characteristics. I, have, I, I, I sometimes allow my dress to dictate the way it is. I hide behind my dress. It's my shame that's forcing me to do these things. Who you are drives you what you do. 
Do you know what it's like to hide? To wear a mask? And to project to the world what, an image that you want to be seen so that you might be accepted? Why do I do what I do? It's because your shame is trying to drive you to manage your life so that you can deal with the shame that's in your heart. Our guilt is always going to lead to shame and our shame is going to dictate our choices. And one of the choices that we see that is so common to us all is hiding. And you see that right here in Genesis 3. But there's another, there's another thing that happens that you see. Not only do they hide, but, but Adam does something so common to us all. What does he do? When, he's, when God says, did you eat of the tree the knowledge of good and evil that I told you not to? He goes, well, the woman you gave me, she made me do it. And he began this cycle of blaming. Not only did he hide in this moment, but he blamed. Blaming in this particular case, and Eve does it too, because when he points the finger at Eve, Eve points the finger at the serpent. But blaming, let's think about what blaming is trying to do. What is blaming trying to do? It's trying to mitigate, mitigate the consequences for the actions that we try to do. It's trying to like put a band-aid over a flesh wound. Blaming is not going to do much, but it might mitigate some of the consequences, or so we think. So we hide, we blame to deal with the shame that is so constant in our mind and our hearts. Thinking that we have the power in our own hands to deal with the shame in our hearts. The reality is though, and this is what I want you to know, you will never be able to deal with the shame in your own power. This not-enoughness that is constantly kicking around in our minds, we will never have the power to stop it. You don't have enough money. Well, you make a lot of money. And most people who've made a lot of money will say, I never have enough. You chase beauty. And you'll chase beauty. And then you get older. And then, this, the, then you start getting like sun creases here. And, then you, and you start chasing this, this, trying to feel this shame and try to hide behind something but over time, you can't fight it. And you're trying to deal with this shame and trying to deal with it and trying to deal with it. Why do I do what I do? Is because you're trying to manage the shame that you have no power to deal with. It's tough. All I want you to know is this. This is my hope as you think about why you do what you do. Stop fighting. Stop fighting the shame that is driving you to make decisions that you don't want to do. What I want you to do more than anything is to take off the mask, this hiding that we often do, and to start living as you are. Now why can I say this? If you're a shameful person, which you are, why can I say live without the mask? Well, it's this third question. Who is God? Who is God? Who is God? Well, if you look at this text, there's a couple things that we can see. There's two things that we see in this text that, that we see about God. And let, let me just say this before we even dive into who we see God being. I, I think of all the questions that we need to have clarity on in life, of all of them, the most important question to have clarity on is who is God? There is no greater scientific study than the study of theology. God is going to shape your view of God is going to shape your view of life. It's either God-centered or man-centered. I'm the Lord of my life or the Lord is the Lord of my life. And you better have clarity on who God is. Now, 
This is just five verses, six verses amongst a whole Bible that reveals who God is. But so I just want to look at two characteristics of God. And I think they're so vital for us in terms of our understanding of who God is. The first thing I want you to see about God is that God is just. God is just. And this is so important for us to see. God told Adam, there's one rule. I got one rule for you. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat of it, you will die. They eat it, and guess who comes around? The just God. Who's going to hold up His end of the bargain. Hey, the day you eat of it, you will die. But I love this. He's not just this authoritarian, like, boom, it's happening. God goes into the garden. He's walking in the cool of the garden. And what does He begin to do? He starts asking questions, like a prosecutor. Like a just prosecutor. He's trying to get to the bottom of it. We know God is omniscient. He knows what just took place. We know that all this stuff. But here's God just asking basic questions to Adam about what has happened. Where are you? Why are you hiding from me? Well, I was hiding from you because I realized I was naked. Did you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And he's asking these questions. And here we see God being very just, being very kind in His justice. God is just. He does not let our sins go unnoticed. And this is a good thing. If we don't have a just God, we have a chaotic world. God is just. And when we break His law, there are just consequences for that law. If God doesn't hold us to those just consequences, we're in deep trouble. This is a statement I've heard for a long time in my life, but if you've never stood before God and been afraid, then you've never stood before God. In the shamefulness of your own heart, in the the guilt of your own life, in breaking God's rule, if you've never known the just God that's coming to pay pay you for the sins that you've done, then you've never stood before God. God is just. And His Word is His bond. And when He says, the day you eat it, you will surely die... It's going to happen. And that is a good thing. But, so God is just. But there's a second characteristic that we have to see, and this is so hard for us to see, that God is gracious. God is just, and He's also gracious. I think it's so kind that He would pursue Adam the way He pursued him. That He would, be, he would not just you know, knock out Adam the moment he ate of the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He is so kind. He's so gracious. And as we'll see next week, we'll see the ways in which He's gracious in this moment. But here's what I want you to see more than anything. So often, we think of God as just. I think most of us in here would agree, yes, God is just. It makes sense that way. But what we have a really hard time understanding is how God can be both just and gracious at the same time. And one of the reasons why we hide before God is because we think, if God really saw who I was, He would smite me and wipe me off the face of this earth. There's no way God is gracious. But He is. He is both just and gracious at the same time. He pursues us in the midst of our sin and in the midst of our shame. And He is the one that deals with us. Remember, you and I have no power to deal with the shame in our life. We have no power. 
We can try to manage it away. We can hide. We can blame. We can deny. We can do whatever. But we in our power cannot deal with the shame. But God in His mercy and in His grace moves towards us in our shame and does for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Remember what the, the, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12 about this God? He says this, We are to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. Despising the shame. Jesus was one who knew no shame. He was not born into sin like you and I, and He obeyed God's law His whole life. But He, just like Adam, went to the cross naked. Naked. But He despised the shame. Why? Because He's bearing the shame for you and I. Jesus is the only one that can deal with our shame because He's gracious. He is the one who can also then look at us and say, no, you are good. Just payment has already been done because of Jesus. And so God is both just and gracious at the same time. And so we can go before God without any hiding, without any mask wearing, because He knows who we are. The just penalty for our sin is already paid for. He already endured the shame on the cross, and He did it for for our sake because He wants to be with us. The only thing that can deal with the shame that so riddles our life is by turning to the One who took our shame upon Himself and bared the penalty for that shame on Himself. This is your God. He is just and gracious all at the same time. Would you turn to Him? As we put this fire out and as we close, I just want to to go through the three questions again that you have clarity, just a little bit more clarity on those three questions. Who am I? Well, I'm a shameful person. I'm a shameful person. Like, I'm not enough. I am not good. Why do I do what I do? I do what I do to cover up this shame that I, that I, that I feel. I try, to, I try to hide it and hide it and blame it and push it away. And I, but the reality is, as much as we work on that, we'll never deal with that in our own strength. That's why we've got to turn to the God who is just and gracious. So my friends, as we put this fire out, my encouragement to you today is to take your mask off and turn to the God who is both just and gracious and cling to Him. He is indeed good. Would you turn with me there now? We give thanks to You, O God, that You are indeed just. That You not just, oh yeah, it wasn't a big deal that You, you sinned and You broke... Broke, broke the law that I gave. No, you, you, you said there's, there's going to be some payment for that. But we give thanks to You, O God, that You are the One who paid for that payment through Your Son, Jesus. And it is through Him that we come into Your presence, both a just and gracious God. May we be reminded of that and live as people without masks, knowing that it is You who accept us, You who would delight in us, You who enjoy us. Remind us of that as we go from this place. 
Teach us to embrace this in the hallways of our school, in the, in the, the office that we go, and in our homes. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.